Mindfulness Mode 77. Mindfulness, once you get into that mode and you discover some of the benefits, and it's almost like you're really connecting with your true life. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Thanks so much for listening to Mindfulness Mode. As a thank you, I have some free, easy meditations called Fine-Tune Your Focus 5-Step Challenge. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash focus. Enter your name and email, and I'll send you five videos with audio tracks for meditating, clearing your mind, and getting focused. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Maura Sweeney on the line today. Hey, Maura, are you in mindfulness mode? I am always in mindfulness mode, Bruce. (laughs) Maura Sweeney is the ambassador of happiness. Through her business, she teaches people just like you to live happier, healthier, and more inspiring lives. Mora has over 250 YouTube videos, as well as ebooks and blogs, communicating elements of mindfulness as ways to become happier. Mora asks the question What if everything you've been searching for in life has been hiding inside your heart? So, Mora, what does mindfulness mean to you? Bruce, I can't get over the introduction you gave to me, and I love the last quote. You said, what if everything you've ever been searching for in life has been hiding inside your heart? Thank you for referencing that, because that would be the answer to my question about mindfulness. I knew as a little girl that everybody was busy answering to an outside world and reacting reacting. They were reactors to an outside world that was giving them all kinds of impulses. But if we can take that time and separate ourselves in the quietude, we'll realize that everything we ever wanted to know, everything we've ever wanted to be is already right there and it's accessible to us. But because we fail to be mindful about our lives, because we fail to like sort of close out the outside world and all of those energies that are constantly bombarding us, we miss that quiet place where everything we've ever been looking for can be found. Well, Maura, I love what you said. Separate ourselves in the quietude. The quietude. I love that. So how do we find the quietude? I can remember looking for quietude as far back as maybe four years of age, five years of age. And it's amazing. You can be just anybody from any background, any discipline, and find your own way to quietude. Here's my first example of it. As a little girl, we used to go every weekend to visit my grandparents. And the trip for me, it was a long one. It was about a half hour in length. And I'd be sitting in the back seat, my parents in the front. And I remember putting one of my arms um, on the armrest of the car, which meant there was a slight vibration. And I would close one of my ears where I would be inside that vibration. So they might have been discussing things in the car. They might have had music I didn't even like playing. But that 
little place of being in the back of the car, having that easy vibration, being in a movement place, and yet there was nowhere I could go, was the beginning of me connecting with my own quiet space. And the reason why it was always so important to me as a child, and it continues decades later, is that that's where inspiration comes from. That's where we get fueled in terms of our, um, I want to say, our our inner thought life and all the things that we tend to lose as we get older. It's all those wonderful and brilliant ideas about possibility. And that was my first experience with it. And I have found several ways of being mindful or finding that quiet space. But that was my first sitting in the back of the car just closing one of my ears and being inside the quiet vibration with my eyes closed. And I was basically in my own little, my own little cocoon. And I loved it. Well, that is really great to hear. It's great to hear that personal story. And so let's say if Mindful Tribe, maybe one of you, you're listening now and you're thinking, oh yeah, that's wonderful that Mora had reached that in childhood, but I've never felt that. How can we help others to find that? Well, there are so many ways. And I think this is a great question, Bruce, because each one of us, um, none of us are really cookie cutter people, even though we might have been brought up that way. So we have to find those things that feel natural and things that resonate with us. So maybe there are some people that find their quiet space, not not by driving in a car, but maybe it's by going out for a walk in nature. And all of a sudden, it's like everything on the outside quiets. There could also be people who enjoy going to maybe yoga. The first time I remember going to yoga classes, I thought, what is going on? I can't even figure out how to do these poses. (laughs) But over time, what I realized is that I already knew the poses and I was so relaxed that all of a sudden, outside time stopped and I was in my own little capsule and it was such or is such a place of peace and rest and rejuvenation. So it could be many ways. And here's another way. Sometimes people just need to carve out a little space for themselves. One of the things I have done for decades, for about 10 years, I had worked in corporate America and I was in leadership positions, which meant I'd walk into the office and I'd be barraged every day with people issues and people problems. And how do I do? So no matter how early I had to get to the office, I would always get up that much earlier in the morning. And what I would do is find a quiet space in a chair, whatever, have a little cup of coffee, sometimes with the lights dimmed. And I would either have something nice to read, but it was always either quotes that were empowering wisdom messages. I would sometimes keep a little journal. And what I would do, again, I would find a quiet space and I would look to connect myself with, I want to say my inner core. There's a place of peace that resides in all of us, Bruce. And unless we take the time to find it and to sort of establish it and then revisit it, and the more we revisit it, the more familiar it becomes to us, then we can bring that mindfulness and that core um, stability with us everywhere we go. So not only is it good for us, but it also makes us a positive influence in the world around us because we end up sharing that feeling and that stability and that hopefulness and that um, that vibration with other people because it's not a conflicting 
feeling. It's a very unified and very um, peaceful feeling. Well, it's just great to be unified with other humanity. And you really have that that knack down at how to relate and connect. And that's one of the reasons I love your Foundations of Happiness e-program. And in your e-program, I noticed that you, you say that we all see the world with different glasses. And basically, we can boil it down to two things. We see ourselves as a victim or we see ourselves as a beneficiary. So tell us about that. How can we help that knowledge empower us? Well, you know, think about this. In in the general world, if you look around and you see information everywhere and you see messages everywhere, we can think we have a multitude of problems, maybe millions of problems. But if you really distill it, And separate yourself from all of these problems. You could say to yourself, you know what? I only have two choices in life. And the choices come down in terms of who we think we are and also where we think we're from. In other words, what our true reality is. And if you consider it that way, you only can come up with two conclusions. The first being, I am this accident, a cosmic accident I'm a freak accident in a freak cosmic environment that is absolutely hostile and has nothing good about it. And so therefore I have to constantly protect myself. And in that place, we'll always see ourselves as a victim. And most people do see themselves as victims, which is why they end up attacking other people. But the alternative to it is this. If we see ourselves as beneficiaries, and you know the word beneficiary comes from bene, which means good. It means we see ourselves as finding goodness and finding something of benefit for ourselves in every life experience we ever engage with. Everything that comes our way, we may not have the eyes to see it in that moment, but we can choose to believe we are the beneficiary. And the second piece of that goes to, well, what is the world behind us? What's our backdrop? And I have to tell you, this is what I believe. The backdrop to the world is love. It is peace. It is order. And it is oneness. So therefore, everything that happens, I'm not by myself. I am not this mistake, this accident that's constantly bumping around and needing to protect myself. When we truly do believe in a backdrop or a cosmos that's beneficial to us, and we believe we came from that, and so therefore we are a beneficiary, our minds begin to change. And as our minds begin to change and we apply that repeatedly through mindfulness and through reminding ourselves of that truth, then what happens to us in our outer life experience ends up relating right back to us those kinds of things. And if I could add just one more example, because you probably have listeners thinking, oh, Maura, you don't know where I am today. (laughs) Yes, we very well may. Right, everybody? Yeah, of course. I'm glad you brought up my course, because in my course, I... Um, end up mentioning several challenging places I've been in life. And some of the times that I've been through the deepest challenges, I look at now and I think, my goodness, these were some of the biggest growing periods of my life. I grew in wisdom. I grew in understanding. Yes, I might have had some of my old mindsets blown away, which oftentimes throws us off. But 
the result was that I ended up seeing things from a much broader perspective. I learned to have compassion for other people as a result of being maybe excluded or bullied. I know that's one of the things you like to speak about. And once we happen to experience some of these more challenging times in life and see ourselves as beneficiaries, we end up absorbing life lessons that we end up walking in, in terms of wisdom and grace. And we share that through our very lives with others so that they pick up similar messages and end up rising to be higher. I want to say higher expressions of who they previously were. Well, you know what? I'm so glad you spoke about the more challenging times because we all have these challenging times. And that's why I wanted to ask you, Maura, have you ever had any times, any specific times when the whole idea of mindfulness just didn't seem to be working for you? <laughs> Probably thousands, <laughs> if you really want me to be honest. But I have also thought about this. Do you know that there's this old Jewish proverb and everybody's got a word that kind of hits them? Mm-hmm. Long, long time ago, I heard it. It says this, as a man thinketh in his heart, Mm -hmm. so is he. And it's an old proverb that speaks to what people are saying today. Even Henry Ford said, if you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're right. Mm -hmm. We must think continuously on something. So here's what I do every time I feel like mindfulness isn't working. I go back and reapply it. It becomes literally a practice. The more we practice a thought, the more that thought becomes our reality. So sometimes when we're in those really desperate spots, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I'm right now an empty nester. I had an only child, a daughter, who I happened to homeschool. Mm -hmm. And by 16 years old, she had moved 1,500 miles away and was living in Boston. And I live in Florida, my husband and I. And you know how many times I worried about my only child, a daughter, who was only 16, living in the city of Boston? So you talk about those times when we feel like we're out of control and worried. I would always use each and every moment of worry or let's say anxiety. That's a better word of using it or feeling of being lack of control because my arms weren't long enough maybe to say, is she safe? Is she okay? Mm -hmm. I would use each and every challenging moment to remind myself of the truth. And Bruce, the way we find the truth is by, again, finding those little cubicles of space and time that we get quiet and we become able to listen and hear what is reality rather than constantly reacting to a frightened and discordant world. So as many times as we could be challenged, we can think about it on the flip side and say, guess what? I'm going to pat myself on the back because I'm using this moment of discordance in my life or anxiety or fear or unrest to practice mindfully applying peace and inner happiness to who I am. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. We end up becoming a new person as a result of constantly re-exercising and retraining our thought life. Well, cubicles of space and time are definitely what we all need to achieve this. And I want to know more, do you meditate? Is meditation itself part of those cubicles of space and time? You know, good question. Um, You know, it's funny. 
I came from a Christian background, so I guess they didn't meditate years ago. That would be like, oh, only Easterners did. And yet you want to know the funny thing is that I have been a meditator probably all my life. And uh, what I would say meditation is, it again, it's finding the quiet within us. So you can call it prayer. You can call it meditation. You can call it mindfulness. You could call it breathing, but what it is, is creating your own space. And I'm telling you, Bruce, I am such a believer in this again, because I've applied this really all of my life. I had to many times during my life, um, because of my belief systems, to go back to my inner core rather than reacting to an outer world that I would oftentimes think was insane or acting inappropriately. And so whatever we want to call it, it is finding that inner space and that inner place. And really all it is is this. It's finding the oneness of spirit that we all come from, that we all currently exist in, that we'll all go back to once our minds return to, I would call it normality. <laughs> right. Well, I'm so glad I asked this because this is exactly what I thought you would say, but I wanted to hear you say it because this is it. We all have different ways of meditating and some of us do it in a very traditional way and some of us would explain it in different ways the way you just have. But Maura, I want to talk about discipline and boundaries because some of us, you know, we have the best intentions and we're like, oh yes, I'm going to give myself that gift of cubicles of space and time but then something happens and after a couple of weeks you know I think oh yeah I was going to do that how do we be disciplined enough in our lives and have enough boundaries so that we can maintain this same level of mindfulness that you do on a daily basis I think it really comes from your inner desire you know I think mine came from um knowing that I needed a higher source or I needed a better mentor for how to navigate my way through life. And I guess growing up, maybe I didn't really have a mentoring example that maybe would have been the one I would have been looking for. So I had to make that space. So for me, it was if I wanted to live in peace, and that's where I'd go back to any of your listeners, how badly do you really want to be peaceful or living at peace? How much do you really want to be a happy person? And if you do, you will to that degree, to the degree that you want to live in peace, to the degree that you truly want to be a happy person from the inside out, you will make sure you start practicing it. And the other thing, too, about mindfulness, once you get into that mode and you discover some of the benefits, and it's almost like you're really connecting with your true life or your true life force. Bruce, then it's like a place, it's not even, it doesn't even require discipline. It's like going back to the place you love. It's like, oh, this is my home base. I love it here. Right. And as long as I know I feel good and I totally am immersed in that feeling of peace and happiness that I get from that, then of course I'll want to do it. But I want to ask you about my subconscious and my conscious mind, because there are things in my life, I have to say, consciously, I think, okay, I know this makes sense. And this is what I want. And da, 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 da. And then 
I kind of have this vision of my subconscious because I do meditate and sometimes I think, geez, I do not think my subconscious mind is quite in alignment with my conscious mind. Now, what would you say about that? Wow, I'm totally agreeing with you. And here's a picture. I saw it not too long ago. The difference between our conscious mind and our subconscious. If you were to ever look at, and I'm sure you've seen a similar picture, um, what are those ice formations? Glaciers? Yes, yes. Iceberg. No, icebergs. Icebergs. Yes. You see a little bit above the water. Yes. That's our conscious mind. Right. But if you ever were to look at a complete image, the icebergs are so deep. Mm-hmm. And that's the subconscious mind. And that that practicing of mindfulness does a very good job of reaching into the subconscious and oftentimes bringing up to the conscious mind things we need to look at. You know, the crazy thing is we don't forget very much, but we store it in places in our subconscious mind. And they're almost like these hidden closets that every once in a while come out or open up and give us old feelings of either fear or unrest or maybe uh, feelings of inferiority or vulnerability. And by being in those mindful modes um, and practicing mindfulness, it's almost like little by little pulling up um, matters that were in the subconscious mind, bringing them to the conscious mind, and then letting them sort of just go back, go out and leave us. Because a lot of what's in our subconscious is not always that helpful. And what we tend to do as humans, I think, is we avoid it all. And that's why I think we find a lot of people out in the world behaving poorly because they're reacting to their subconscious mind or emotions and not making a connection between the two. They don't see cause and effect. So, yeah, I definitely say it's our conscious mind is very, very shallow, the subconscious mind very deep. And the more we practice mindfulness, the more we can kind of go in there and separate, hey, what's really me and what kind of um, old closets do I need to clean out take a look at them if they don't work for me wish them goodbye and wish them well and you know that's it let them go into the wind that's a great way to put it Maura I have a couple of closets still to clean out I'm (laughs) pretty sure yeah yeah we all do but I love the way you're describing it and that's what makes you so amazing at being the ambassador of happiness because you know how to communicate and how to connect with us so that's fantastic but I want to talk to you about some of the many many people you've met I know you've met a lot of high profile people you've been all over the world tell us one story of someone you met that was so inspiring? Bruce, I do meet people all the time because I'm really so curious about others and I'm interested in sharing and getting their stories. My first answer was going to be maybe someone who's unknown, but I'd love to bring this woman out because she was one of the most glorious people I've ever met and I've managed to continue keeping in touch with her. Her name is Regina Calcaterra. I had never heard of Regina until about a year or so ago when she was invited to speak at St. Petersburg College here in Florida at their five campuses um, as part of the One Book, One College program. She wrote her memoir and it's called Etched in Sand. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list twice, I believe, right behind Maya Angelou. Mm. Regina Calcaterra is a petite little woman, very pretty, who was brought up in Long Island, New York. If you were to meet her at the grocery store, at a cocktail party, 
maybe in the course of business, you would say, what an attractive, petite, gracious, kind, humorous, or and good-natured, intelligent, precious woman she is, okay? Mm-hmm. What you wouldn't know about her is that that girl, woman, grew up on Long Island, one of five siblings who spent the majority of her life as starting as early as the age of eight, homeless and living on the streets as an abandoned child. Today, she's an attorney working out of New York City. Incredible. She and her siblings managed to keep themselves together, even though all five siblings were born from five different fathers. They shared the same mom, who I guess was bipolar, and she would disappear literally for weeks and months on end. And these little children were like waifs. They would stay in, um, oh my goodness, to keep warm in New York, they would stay in uh, libraries during the day and they would read books to stay warm and have access to water. They found ways, clever ways to go around and find food. Now here's the thing. You would think this is a woman maybe in her 80s. We don't imagine homeless children the girl is younger than I am. I would put her in her late 40s. She might be early 50s, although she looks younger. That woman embodies the utmost of grace, kindness, mindfulness, wisdom. You would think that she was brought up in a home where she had the best of upbringing. And yet piece by piece, that girl put herself together by the smallest little steps from learning how to brush her teeth, learning how to take care of herself. And here she is in just such a wonderful spot. I would put that lady right up there as the most inspirational woman I ever met. And here to add to it further, and this is what I I just so glory. And in fact, I included her story in my um, e-course on Foundations of Happiness. Today, she inspires others to adopt people as, oh, what does she say? You know how there are a lot of kids that are through, going through the, uh, they never get adopted. Yes. And ultimately by, what is it, 17, they end up outside of the uh, right. social services. Yes. She encourages families to encur- to bring these people into their family. And she fantastic? calls them forever home. So essentially they may not have any legal ties, but these are people who she will remind about what it's like to grow up that way and bring mindfulness to others about what it's like to have no family and no no structure in life and to open their hearts to other people. I'm telling you, I just love the girl because I love her heart. And she's such a picture of what one life can do to influence others. And she's a great picture of someone who came from challenge and became a true beneficiary, not only in her own life, but also to impact the lives of others. She's just a beautiful girl. Thank you. Wow, and I love what you said about uh, her views on adopting people because it, my wife and I are foster parents, and and you know we see that all the time. You know where you know children they just aren't adopted, and wow, it just breaks our hearts. You know that that happens. But I will definitely reach out to that book, Etched in Sand, and yes. and I'll also put it in our show notes as well. Uh, Maura, you know that I've worked in bullying prevention for over a decade, and we've talked a little bit about that. But Maura, do you have a specific 
story where bullying happened and maybe mindfulness would have completely changed the direction of it? You know, I could three come to mind and they're growing up. The first, I remember I was probably in fifth grade and a friend of mine from up the block had two cousins come to town who were big girls. You know, when you're growing up and you could find somebody, they're two years older than you, but they're big and they have that bullying atmosphere. They would stand on one corner, it was across the street and I'd be on the other side and they'd say to me, we're going to beat you up. Now, my maiden name was Haggerty. Haggerty, we're going to beat you up. And you know the funny thing, and this maybe goes back to that whole thing. I felt threatened in a sense, which is, do I feel like a victim? But I never behaved like one. And I remember back then trying to appeal to them at another level. I remember thinking, was there something I did that offended you? Now, they could never answer me, and they never did beat me up, and they never crossed the street. That was the first. The second time, I was in high school. Now, if you could, this is obviously back in the day, Mm -hmm. but I would be one of those kids. I would carry all my books every single day. You kind of put me a little bit in the nerdy zone. (laughs) I never fit in with anybody's group. (laughs) And there was in my town a girl in my class, and she was the head cheerleader. Uh And for whatever reason, she decided she didn't like me. And she'd look at me in the middle of the hallways in in high school and she'd say to me, I'm going to, wait, I'm going to beat you up, Haggerty. You meet me after school at the bleachers, I'm going to beat you up. Now, this is bizarre to answer (laughs) your question, Bruce, but you know, on two occasions, maybe on three, but let's say two, I actually went after school and I went to the football bleachers Mm. and I was expecting to meet her. And the girl never showed up. Now, I was not there to fight. I wouldn't even know how to fight. It was just not in me. She never showed up. And then a third time, I was a junior in high school. And again, for you know, sometimes we don't understand why do people bully? I don't know. Right. Um, But I was in an AP English class, and we had all do book reports. And the teacher asked for, what was your what was your reaction as a result of reading your book? So I put my book report together, and I gave a reaction of this book that I read. And we get into class one day, and she proceeds, not to mention any names, but she's reading my book report. And she's reading it with the greatest amount of disdain. Wow. And the histrionics coming out of her were loathing. And after it was over... She looked right at me. It's funny. I think I was middle row, like third seat. Mm. Everybody's probably wondering what's going on. And she slams the paper Mm. on my desk. Mm. And all I did was sit there. I did nothing. Mm -hmm. I did nothing. So in all three cases, I never fought back, Bruce. I don't know whether it's something that was within me, but there must be a certain level of peace that resides within me. And I almost want to say beyond that, I think that there's something in me that I'm always appealing to another place in people, not the bully, but I'm appealing somewhere else. And whether they answer me or don't, they, they seem to fall shy or short of making a punch or doing something that otherwise harms me. So it's as if I just continue through. And, you know, even as you're telling me, I remember being a brand new manager in corporate America. Uh-huh. And there was a woman much older than me who just undressed me in the middle of the sales force. Now, I was already this fledgling manager. Yeah. She ripped me up one side and down the other. And you know what I did? It's amazing. What did you do? I, I stood there quietly and I waited until she was finished it's so look at this I'm bringing you from fifth grade up to when I was 26 or 25 Uh I stood there 
And she went on and on and on. And I remember just standing there and everybody's gaping, you know, their mouths are gaping. And I said to her in a very quiet voice, I said, are you finished? And she said, yes. And I said, well, thank you very much. And I said, I'll expect your letter of resignation on my desk in the next half hour. And sure enough, she wrote her letter and walked out. Just like that. So do you see, now I just gave you four examples yes. and I, and here, whether I was 11 or 27 or whatever it was, and I could tell you the same has been true. I'll be 58 next month. I think in every case, I've never yelled back at another person. I don't know what it is, but something in me must diffuse it. Maybe it's a little bit of whatever Martin Luther King used to do. <laughs> you know, he was not into a bullying begets more bullying. No, no he there's was not. There's something that people feel, I think, when there's a certain peace that presides. I think it. I think it throws them off their guard, and they don't know what to do. It's like there's nothing for them to grab onto. Something within them wants to grab on and have something to fight, and you're not giving them anything. Right, and you've got so, this natural ability, this natural mindfulness that you've always had, and you just instinctively knew how to deal with it. I mean, that's my perception from what you're telling me. I guess, and by the way, I want your listeners to know, it doesn't mean that I wasn't afraid. I have to tell you, this yeah. will make you laugh. I went to my 20th high school reunion, uh-huh. uh, oh, obviously several years ago. And when I stepped, no, when I stepped into the reunion, a woman came out. She's dressed in this fabulous white suit. She had this great corporate job working on Wall Street, I think. And you know who it was? It was the former girl who was the uh, the cheerleader who always wanted to beat me up. And, you know, immediately, I had forgotten about this girl. What flushed right through me was fear. Again, that fear of, oh, my gosh, she's going to beat me up. Uh-huh. She didn't even remember who I was. In fact, oh, she didn't. She used so many drugs, I don't think she remembered anybody. Uh-huh. And she eventually imploded. But isn't it funny? I had the fear that was within me, but I must not have responded to the fear. Right. So right. whatever that means for whoever is listening today, those are my life stories of being bullied. <laughs> what great <laughs> stories. Like so well, great because we can learn from them. That's what I mean by that. That is really, really eye-opening. Maura, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? You know, I, you're probably looking for somebody who's among the living right now or who's in the flesh. But I would say, Bruce, it would be the character or person of Jesus. I'm not really a, I'm a spiritual person, but not religious. And here's what I would think. When I think about Jesus as a person, I can almost feel his presence as if he is someone who accepts everyone. That if you were to meet him on the street, you would sense peace beyond belief. You would sense inclusion. You would sense love. Great answer. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It keeps them in check and it keeps my emotions from running my life. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. I learned that as a result of going to yoga classes. I never knew that it was. But as I slow down my breathing and I'm concentrating on maybe a movement that I'm in, it absolutely quiets my ever-chattering mind. (laughs) If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would it be? 
It's called, and it's a fun one, The Mindfulness Coloring Book. It's by Emma Ferrarons. It's F-A-R-R-A-R-O-N-S. And it's anti-stress art therapy for busy people. Can you share an app which helps you be more mindful? You know, there's one that came to mind uh, recently, and I really like it. It's a new one, and it's called AHA, A-H-H-A-A, exclamation point. And I love it. It connects people all over the world with mindfulness, with good thoughts. Um, And if ever you're going through something, you could go onto this little app, mention what you're going through, and other people will respond to you. So I think it's a real neat, neat app. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and would like to start using it in their life? Never get down on yourself. For people that are so used to being moved by everything that goes around them and they don't know how to sit still for even 30 seconds, let alone a minute, do not condemn yourself. It's a practice and it's a habit. Think about anybody who ever wanted to learn how to run. Running a block or running around the block at the beginning is like, forget about it. I can't do it. It's something you just continue to practice over and over. And the more you do it, the more familiar it becomes. So never condemn yourself. You'll get there. Oh, Mara, I think this has been just so fantastic talking about happiness and mindfulness. And I mean, you are just a person I totally feel connected to. It's been such a pleasure. But how can Mindful Tribe contact you, Mara, and learn more about what you do? Well, they can uh, find me easily on my website. It's my name, Mara, which is Emma's and Mary, A-U-R-A, followed by number four, and then letter U.com, Mora for you, because I'm always for you, whoever you may be. <laughs> and they could write to me, Mora at moraforyou.com. And there are connections to my blogs, my videos, my podcast. I have a free book. I have my e-course that you had referenced. And uh, I'm sure there are other things on there too, Bruce, but uh, I'm always delivering content that helps people reconnect with that person within them that they've always been seeking and longing for. And I'm telling you, I see people as gems and as stars. And if I can do anything over the course of my life to bring people home to their own heart, not only will they be happier and more peaceful, but I will have contributed to a happier and peaceful world, which for me is really the real one. So thanks. More at moreforyou.com. Fantastic. Well, it's been great talking, like I said, and all the best to you, Maura. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.